On this episode of the podcast, Josh tells us the story of how one franchise stole all of the Hall of Famers out of a draft class in one fell swoop. Snatched them. Snatched them. That sounds pretty good. It's probably, uh... Somebody messed up here. Multiple teams messed up here. And I, we'll get into it. To get all of the Hall of Famers <laughs> in one class, unless there's like two. Unless there's zero. <laughs> there's more than two. There's no one. <laughs> there's more than two, but less than four. Technically. We'll get hey! into it. Hey! <laughs> okay, I'm excited. Recline that sofa and loosen that tie, because this is Mismanaged. Welcome to Mismanaged, a weekly podcast where we kick back and criticize the failings of paid sports professionals while also offering them foolproof solutions to all their management woes. I'm Austin Egan. I'm Josh Sweezy. And I'm Nathaniel Westover. Let's get into it. This week we are discussing the NBA. Warning to any and all Hawks and Royals fans? Wait. Oh, baseball. Really, yes. I guess anyone that's a you know, fan of teams in St. Louis. Yep. Uh, really, the story's so old that no one should be triggered by it. I'm sure Fair. we'll find somebody. Oh, someone will be. But Back no one should. Back in my day, <laughs> right, my day, St. Louis was, wasn't even called St. Louis. It was just Louis. Just Louis. <laughs> Louis. Before he became a saint. He was in dirty town. <laughs> <laughs> So on this week's episode, we are hopping in a time machine and taking it all the way back to the very early days of the NBA. We're talking pre-NBA-ABA merger. 2000. The year is 1955. Woo! Oh, shoot. I wasn't even close to being born yet. My parents weren't born yet. My parents weren't born yet. I don't think any of our parents were born yet. They weren't even conceived. Yep. Yep. Same. Man, that's really adding nine months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it was there. I wanted it. Uh, yeah. So, the year is 1955, and it is a simpler time. Instead of the 30 NBA teams that we have today, there were only eight franchises contending for the title. That's all you need. Only you two want. of which have not changed names or cities. Do you want to take a guess as to which two those are? Boston Celtics. Uh huh. That's one. The Knicks and the Knicks. Knicks. Yes, those are the two. The other six teams were the Philadelphia Warriors. Yeah, that's right. Nice. The Syracuse Nationals. Woo. The Fort Wayne Pistons. Woo. The Minneapolis Lakers. The Rochester Royals. Yes. And the subject of our mismanagement story today, the St. Louis Hawks, featuring potential alleged mismanagement from the Rochester's Royals as well. So it's a, it's a twofer. It's a compound. Rochester. Because if you're going to get all of the Hall of Famers in one draft class, you have to, you know, swindle at least two two teams, I would say. Unless one team was really loaded <laughs> and blew it all. Like, I'm thinking of a they scenario. They had more draft picks than the Thunder do now. I was about to say, I'm thinking the Thunder do the exact same thing. They botch all of the picks. That'd all of be them. Amazing. It would be monumental. And we'll talk about it when it happens. All right. So, the Boston Celtics fleeced everyone, which would lead to one of the greatest dynasties in sports history. I'm sure you've heard of the Celtics and their 17 championships. Who was that guy? I'm not aware. Um, Boston? They're Boston. Good. I haven't Russell. seen them win in. Decades. <laughs> oh. 
Isn't that the truth? Amen. Uh, so back in the good old days, only two teams didn't make the playoffs. Nice. <laughs> so a quarter of the league. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there wasn't the like gap in regular season records that you see nowadays between the top of the pack and the bottom of the barrel. Uh, for example, in the Western Conference this season, the Jazz had the best record with 52 wins and 20 losses, and the Rockets ended the season with 17 wins and 55 losses. Ooh. But way back in 1955, the Philadelphia Warriors had the best record in the league, uh, and they won 45 games and lost 27, but the worst team in the league, the Rochester Royals, were only 14 games back with a record of 31 and 41. Oh, so okay. it's pretty... It's a lot closer. Yeah, yeah the, the gap is not nearly as, as wide. They still play a ton of games, but <laughs> just against, like, the same, like, 30 other guys. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not a very big deal right now. It's not particularly profitable right now. Uh, you know, the NBA hadn't really hit its stride yet. Sure. Um, but the worst record in the league earned the Rochester Royals the first pick in the 1956 NBA draft. Good for them. Nice. Good year. Kind of. Kind of? So have you guys ever heard of a territorial pick? Yes. No. I have a loose understanding of territorial picks. Basically, if I'm remembering it correctly, it's like you had the rights to a player, amateur player, that they came from your re- assigned region. Yep. So it's kind of like how colleges are usually get their players around like, from, from around, around, their, around area. their area. The pros did it with amateurs. <laughs> yes, it's like if you come from near our professional team, you're with we us. we have dibs. We yeah, have, we, have, we have they have the rights unequivocal to dibs. Yes. Yeah. So the NBA had a rule from 1949 to 1965 called the territorial pick. It was a special rule that gave NBA teams exclusive rights to claim locally based college players. The idea was to generate interest in the NBA by giving regional fan bases a star to cheer for. Sure. So okay, these, yeah. you know, these, you know, college basketball heroes was grow up with them. Yeah. Exactly, and college basketball at the time was, you know, maybe bigger than the NBA. Like the NBA it was bigger than the NBA at that. They time. were not drawing, you know, the crowds. Um, so the trade-off was that uh, when a team used a territorial pick, they forfeited their first rounder, but it was well worth it because no other team ever had a chance at drafting, you know, these players. So, as it turns out, this territorial pick was, you know, broken. Because 23 of the players selected with territorial picks, 11 of them are in the Hall of Fame. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. So, almost oh, half. Oh, no. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. <laughs> So, before the Royals were able to make their selection, the Boston Celtics forfeited their sixth overall pick to select Tommy Heinsohn uh, with their territorial pick. Tommy was a power forward who played his college ball at Holy Cross. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, So, Tommy was off the board before the draft had even started, but there were still plenty of talented players left, headlined by a 6'10 center named Bill Russell. Ever heard of him? Who's that? Bill Russell. He's a basketball player. Was he? Yes. Still is. <laughs> still is. He's in the league today. He's to this day. That would be amazing. The dude's still probably like 6'8". <laughs> <laughs> He's only shrunk a few inches. He could play power forward nowadays. Not a center anymore. Small forward. 
I'd actually play him in the fourth quarter over Ben Simmons. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, probably shoot better. Oh, probably. Ooh, I had to free line, part. definitely. Don't get any old man put him on the free throw line. I'd put myself on the free throw line first. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, so let's talk about these old Boston Celtics a little bit. They were coached by Hall of Famer Red Auerbach at the time. What a name. Have you heard Red. of him? I have not. Ah, okay. Well, you'll get to know him pretty quickly. Uh, they were pretty good, but they had never won a championship in 1956. Uh, they had made the playoffs in 1955, but again, six out of eight teams did, so really... You still end with a six overall pick. <laughs> yeah. It's not bad. How impressive is that, though? Like, how impressive is it to actually make the playoffs? Um, so both Red Auerbach and Walter Brown, who was the owner of the Celtics, were progressive for their day, and that helped make the Celtics a progressive team even if Boston wasn't necessarily a progressive town at the time. At the time. (laughs) Or I was being generous. (laughs) Uh, In 1950, during Red's first year as head coach, he skipped over local boy Bob Cousy uh, in the second round and instead selected the first African-American player drafted in NBA history, Chuck Cooper. Nice. When Cooper came to Boston and signed his first contract, one of the other owners asked Walter Brown, you know he's colored, to which Walter Brown, Walter Brown said, I don't care if he's polka dot. That's the player we drafted. <laughs> I don't care if he's polka dot. Nice. So, he should win us games. We want him. Suffice to say, it was a controversial decision at the time. Sure. It's putting it generously. Especially since Bob Cousy, you know, was really good. Yeah. <laughs> but Cousy would end, uh, eventually land in Boston anyway. But, you know, that, that, that story just kind of shows you how headstrong Red Auerbach was. Um, so Auerbach already had the player he wanted in Tommy Heinsohn in 1956, but he wasn't satisfied. He oh, made it clear that he thought Bill Russell was the best player in the draft. That's probably just going to go out on a limb and say good call. <laughs> yep, yep, probably safe. Uh, Russell was coming off back-to-back NCAA titles with the University of San Francisco, which also included back-to-back Helms Player of the Year awards, a UPI's College Player of the Year award in 1956, and the NCAA Tournament's Most Outstanding Player award in 1955. Some hardware. Yeah, already. He was a pretty good college player. (laughs) Through his three seasons in college, Russell averaged 20.7 points per game and 20.3 rebounds per game. Woo! My God. Yeah, no, he just dominated out there. Nobody stood a chance. Um, So there was no question that Bill Russell was very, very good in college. Uh, Russell looked so promising that Auerbach decided that he was worth taking a gamble on. The Celtics made a trade with the St. Louis Hawks for the second overall pick. The Celtics sent sent 6'8 center Ed McCauley and 6'4 forward Cliff Hagen in exchange for the pick. The only thing standing between Auerbach and Russell were the Royals. But Red had a plan that involved the ice capades. Come again? The ice capades. The uh, show involving ice and And some figure skaters. (laughs) Some could call them capades. What? What? Oh, you, okay, Wait. You know, I'm, I'm just going to be sitting here saying what continually, mm-hmm. so why don't you go ahead and just... Just move on, I guess. Just, just dazzle them with some ice staters? Yeah, just distract them while they're making their pick, and then they can't pick Bill Russell. 
It'll just be perfect. Bill Russell's on skates, and, he's, <laughs> and be... unbeknownst to them, he's a great ice skater for his size. <laughs> Nimble. I imagine being taller is a detriment. Yeah, right. Cat-like reflexes, though, that guy. Uh, so this next section is very entertaining, but it comes with some qualifiers. The connection between Russell and the ice capades has never been proven to be exactly true. It's the 50s. Anything was anything. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Red tells the story in his autobiography, which is titled, Let Me Tell You a Story. Uh, but I got my in- information from an interview with Tom Heinsohn. Okay. Um, so, as Heinsohn tells the story, Walter Brown, the then owner of the Celtics, was also a prime stockholder in the Ice Capades show, which was a traveling entertainment show that featured a group of ice skaters. Okay, I'm tracking. Picture it, 1950s. 1950s, they're jumping maybe two inches (laughs) off the ice. But ice skater like a half turn, and they've but no one's ever seen anything like it. It's it's dazzling. It's witchcraft. (laughs) Yeah, they're running on water. (laughs) Uh, The ice capades were huge back in the 50s. Their shows were so popular that their audience numbers surpassed that of most major league baseball games. Wow. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, they were a big deal. It's the ice capades. Wow. Baseball uh, in the 50s, too. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was like the golden age. Um, so Arabat goes to Brown, and he's all like, look, Rochester is going to take Russell if with the number one pick. You should reach out to the Royals owner, Les Harrison, and make a deal with him. So in exchange for a lucrative series of performances where the ice capades would stay a week in Harrison's arena in Rochester, Harrison would agree to draft someone other than Bill Russell with the first overall pick. What? Yes. <laughs> what? Basically, he just bought the pick. He bought yeah. it out. Basically, in exchange for some cash flow, the Royals would let the Celtics have Russell. It's kind of, it's like with the Raptors and the Warriors with Vince Carter. Yes. They're like, hey. We will pay you uh-huh. some money to just, if you draft this guy, we'll draft it's your guy. It's even more under the table. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but it's more under the table than that. It's like, hey, this other business I own could make you some could money. Could make you some money. <laughs> if you'd make me happy. If you, you don't draft this one guy. Have you, you ever know? heard of figure skating? <laughs> well, let Ooh, me tell you. Let me tell you about these ice capades. <laughs> Uh, so Auerbach is the only major party involved to speak about the alleged agreement, but neither Brown nor Harrison ever confirmed that the story was true, hence why it's, you know... Oh yeah, I wouldn't either. I said she's... <laughs> yeah, no, that's embarrassing. I like to believe it's true. <laughs> I'm gonna go out on, a, out on a limb here and say yes. Yes, 100%. But either way, the Rochester Royals selected Cy Green with the first overall pick, and the Boston Celtics chose Bill Russell second. Amazing, but it's not all fun and games with this story. It's got a got a serious side as well. well. It's basketball. It is a game. It's pretty fun. Get out. Oh. <laughs> Leave. Uh, so if the whole ice capades adventure is untrue, then you have to ask yourself why didn't the Royals draft Russell and why did the Hawks tra- trade away the second overall pick? Yeah, so so we'll dive into that a little bit. The uh, official reason given by the Royals that they didn't draft Russell is because they didn't want to pay him the $25,000 that he requested, as well as the fact that they had Hall of Famer Maurice Stokes as their active center. Sure. Uh, Those are legitimate reasons for Moses Malone <laughs> issues, too. Yes. Yeah. 
Uh, they had other excuses, like the fact that Russell was going to be playing in the U.S. Olympics in Australia until December of 1956, because, you know, Southern Hemisphere, Summer Olympics, so it was like our December, so they were like, we won't even get him until halfway through the season. Well, he's busy representing the <laughs> America! America. He did win gold, so hey, good job, nice. guys. Um, another excuse was that the Harlem Globetrotters were going to be throwing money at Russell for his services. Uh, back in the day, the Globetrotters typically paid their players more than the NBA did. So that was, you know, awesome. also a valid excuse. Apparently, the Globetrotters did offer Russell $17,000 to play for them, but Russell said even 50000 would not have been enough. The Globetrotters played every night, and he preferred the relaxed NBA schedule of two to three games a week. Ah, yeah, so back think, in the day. Think about that when you hear about load management and, and yeah, no wonder they just back sit to back, back games. Mm -hmm. Well, when there's only eight teams, yeah. you can't be traveling. No, I mean I'm sure they traveled by like bus too. Like it yeah. wasn't extravagant. Steamboat, <laughs> Pony Express. <laughs> they walked. can you imagine? The Hawks had to walk. Can you imagine if NBA teams had to ride ponies across the United States to get well, their games? Well, you know, the Fort Wayne Pistons, they just went down into uh, Ohio, and they hopped on that Ohio River, and they rode their way down, and then they hopped over to the Mississippi, or whichever one will go through St. Louis, and all they steamboated all the way over there, and then they had to go upriver, but that... Uh, that took some time. That took some time. They never made it. They never made it back. They, so they then they just started stopped. a new team in Detroit. <laughs> they just stopped in Detroit and said, we live here now. This is home. Uh, so that takes care of the Royals, but as for the Hawks, there have been rumors that they didn't draft Russell because he's African-American. And this is not the first time we have had this mm -hmm. issue with mm -hmm. St. Louis. No. So racial tensions were high in St. Louis at the time, and the Hawks didn't have a single black player on their roster. Yeah. Again, the Celtics drafted the first black player six years ago. So that... <laughs> Still fresh. Yeah, they, and they still haven't integrated, like, six years later. Um, both Macaulay and Hagen are white, and while the duo went on to become Hall of Famers themselves and bring the Hawks their only championship, they're not Bill Russell. Nope. So in 2013, Russell sat down for an interview about St. Louis and racism, and he said, quote, St. Louis was overwhelmingly racist. If I would have gotten drafted by St. Louis, I wouldn't have been in the NBA. Unquote. So, yeah. Woo! Pretty, pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> I missed the it out there. This is why we like the ice capade story. But regardless, the damage is done, and Auerbach grabs Russell and Heinsohn, but that still wasn't enough. In the second round, Red drafted Russell's teammate from San Francisco... KC Jones. And with that selection, the Celtics acquired three Hall of Famers in 14 picks in one draft. Whew. Jones wouldn't play until 1958 because of his military service, but the Celtics weren't hurting for talent. In Russell's rookie year, he played alongside four Hall of Famers in Heinsohn, Bob Cousy, Frank Ramsey, and Bill Sherman. They're loaded. It's quite the squad. Yes. At the start of the 1963-1964 season, Red Auerbach and the Boston Celtics would be the first team to start five black players. The 1956 draft class had four Hall of Famers in it, Tom Heinsohn, Bill Russell, Casey Jones, and Elgin Baylor. 
But Elgin Baylor decided to be cool and stay in school, so he technically doesn't count. He doesn't? <laughs> cool, <laughs> stayed in school. He would be drafted first overall in the 1958 NBA draft, so two years mm. later. So yeah, they took Lakers. all the Hall of Famers. Technically, the Lakers did draft Elgin Baylor in the 14th round of the 1956 draft, and then again two years later with like, the first overall pick. Again. They were like, oh yeah, we, we still want him. That's amazing. Yeah. Great call. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they knew what they knew. They, they knew they wanted him. They're like, that man scores at will. <laughs> yes. The only other significant draftee from the 1956 class was Willie Knowles, who went on to have a good little career with the Knicks until he got traded to the Boston Celtics in 1963. Boston gets what it wants. Yeah. He replaced an injured Heinsohn. Knowles would be in the lineup for that first team to start five black players and would win three championships with the Celtics. Only to be a Celtic. Yes, the last three. Uh, So these Boston Celtics, led by their bevy of Hall of Famers, would go on to win the NBA championship 11 out of the next 13 years after this draft. Woof. Yeah, no, just insane. Tough to be a royal, tough to be a hawk. (laughs) Tough to be anybody not a Celtic. Yes. Some could say that's what buried those franchises. (laughs) The uh, royals are technically still alive. They are now the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, no, they should have stayed (laughs) the royals. Uh, Sacramento Royals. So basically Uh, any ABA or NBA team that dies in New York ends up in California somehow. Yeah, they have to run away. (laughs) Buffalo Braves, the the Rochester Royals. Right. (laughs) They can't get me here. I'm safe. Um, So Bill Russell was named MVP five times and made 12 all-star teams. He was a three-time NBA first-teamer, eight-time NBA second-team, and four-time NBA rebounding champ. He is still second on the career rebounding list with two th- uh, sorry, 21,620. <laughs> Just, two. Just two. <laughs> two rebounds. Uh, he's only behind Wilt Chamberlain. Well, that's not even fair. I know, right? Yeah. And this podcast's favorite thing... When Red Auerbach retired as Celtics coach before the 1966-1967 season, Bill Russell was made player coach. Yes! <laughs> oh, dominant. Dominant. Apparently, Red offered the job to um, Heinsohn, Cousy, and Jones before he was finally like, all right, Bill, you're still playing. Just just be Bill, coach. someone got coach it. One of my players coach. <laughs> yeah. What are you guys doing? You know out. the system. You know how to win. And that's how Bill Russell was traded for the Ice Capades. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly, but factually. But definitely. It's but definitely for sure. Happened. Uh, so my sources are Rashad Milligan with uh, SB Nation's Peachtree Hoops, mm-hmm. Hayden Bird from the Boston Globe, and Cody Taylor from USA Today Sports, as well as Wikipedia. The classics. Because I'm an adult. Because I'm an adult. Now that we've presented one of the worst moves in NBA history, we will be presenting our own proposals to those GMs we believe need a little amateur help to make their professional decisions. Westover, be a doll. Kick us off. Okay. Take us away. Take us on a journey. We're, we're going on a journey. To Chicago. When Mark Eversley and the, the Bears of the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls. The Bulls. Bears, Bulls, and Cubs, oh my. Good one. Got him. <laughs> got Still him. got it. Got him. First try. 
Eversley surprised the NBA go, by going out and acquiring Vucevic at the trade deadline Vooch. and trading a bunch of players away doing so. Good. We didn't want him. Reports are that... Are you an Orlando fan now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always been. Wait a minute. <laughs> we don't want it. Stupid. <laughs> Dumb anyway. Reports are that Kobe White is losing favor amongst the higher-ups in the organization, which means your team is going to need a point guard that you want to pair with budding stars Zach Levine and Vucevic. You can put Vucevic at point guard. I, he actually is one of the higher assist-giving <laughs> centers. Right behind Jokic, I'm He's sure. Jokic light. <laughs> Diet but, Jokic. But like Diet really Jokic. light. Like, <laughs> like Jokic, like but... hard seltzer. No, well, like just water. It's <laughs> water with some yeast. <laughs> Perfect. Just what I wanted. While the Bulls do have a decent amount of money set up in free agency, to they could try and sign one of the bigger free agents of point guards in Conley or Lowry, but we know Utah has basically said we we would like Conley to stay, and <laughs> Please Lowry don't leave is me. It, it it's definitely too late I think for Lowry. He's time... said that about Chris Paul. He's got yeah. a few years left. Just give him some young talent. Or if you could talk Chris Paul into taking his player option and hopping into free agency early, maybe. Don't but, know why he oh, would. Uh, he's <laughs> That's a bad mistake. And you have seven roster spots to fill, and spending Oof. big money on a point guard is going to hurt your overall depth. But you should still try and get a point guard you believe in. I suggest a sign-and-trade with the New Orleans Pelicans. <sighs> okay. You guys... Get yourselves Lonzo Ball. New Orleans will get Kobe White, forward Troy Brown Jr., and your first in 2024, because uh, you've burned all the rest of them down. Yeah, that makes sense. It's evident first-round picks are not as valuable to you as you're attempting to build a win-soon kind of team. <laughs> win. Hopeful to contend in the East, kind of try and sneak into that 4-5 seed yeah. area. Win in the next three years? Yeah. Win soon, maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, Vooch isn't getting younger. No. So White could start immediately for the Pelicans and develop with Zion, while Brown Jr. is just good depth behind Ingram. So it could be a win-win if the Pelicans are like, yeah, we see <laughs> sure. potential in Kobe White, and Lonzo may or may not leave anyways. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's me, Josh. Yeah, the Pelicans don't have anything else going on, so no. <laughs> they're not busy. Zion seems unhappy, too. Well, you know, do you really want to play in New Orleans? <laughs> no. Move the franchise. Yes. Seriously. Chaos. Seattle. Yes. Zion might stay. I've been saying it for years. All right, my dear GM this week goes out to Miami Heat GM Andy Ellsberg. Andy, buddy, <laughs> things didn't go your way this year. They did. Oh, no. After making it all the way to the finals last year on that crazy run in the bubble, you were swept by the Bucks in the first round. Mm. But I don't think you should give up quite yet. I think you should believe in yourself. And I'm hoping for your sake that a little retooling can lead to another deep playoff run. Here's my suggestion. Now, granted, it's risky, so hear me out. Risk like it risks. for the biscuit. But my God, if it worked, it'd be amazing. I think the Miami Heat should trade for aging former All-Star Kevin Love. I'm listening. <laughs> okay. Cleveland is nothing. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and someone needs to rescue Kevin Love. <laughs> he is clearly past his prime. I forgot he existed, to be honest. <laughs> I thought he'd left the Cavaliers. Nope. 
it's still there. He's clearly past his prime, but he's a smart veteran player with a lot of playoff experience who can help you develop some of your young talent. You've got some contracts expiring this offseason like Iguodala and Ariza, which should open up some cap space for you while enabling you to re-sign Goran Dragic if you so choose. For a few draft picks, I think Kevin Love could be yours. He would be a valuable old man who can space the floor, (laughs) hit the occasional big shot, and mentor your young group. But in all reality, I just want somebody to get him out of Cleveland. He does deserve Fair enough. I don't care who it is. (laughs) Just anybody. He deserves better. Get him out of there. They saw Depot, right? No. Oh, Miami? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. My dear Jim goes to Calvin Booth. Of the Denver Nuggets. Oh, cool. I thought you were just going to make up a name for some reason. <laughs> Cal- Calvin Booth? You know Calvin. Of the Worcestershire Hobbits. Of the Worcestershire <laughs> team. Good one. Yep. The team team. <laughs> Calvin, you got swept by the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Ouch. Even with the loss of Jamal Murray, you had the league MVP. And you got swept. And your fans got embarrassed. A la yeah. Suns in four. <laughs> yep. Your silver lining of your recent shortcomings continues to be your youth. Everyone's like, oh, they're coming together. In a few years, they'll win. They'll get there eventually. But unfortunately, you don't own the market on young developing talent anymore. The Suns, minus Chris Paul, and like Jay Crowder, are basically as young, if not younger, younger. than you. Yep. The Jazz also have some pretty good youth. Rudy Gobert's not old. Mike Conley's like... Getting up there. Joe Ingles, I guess, and Bogdanovich. But he's got some age. But there's there's some youth in those. There's and, still youth in them. And there's still deeper teams than the Nuggets are, which, exactly. which was prevalent in this series. <laughs> yes. Woof. Um, yeah, so being promising is just not enough. You need to force some success. It comes down to this. A big man can't be the number one player on a championship team in the modern NBA. That's true. It's, it's not 1956 anymore. Yeah, I don't care how good you are. It's not going to work. Uh, it isn't working for Embiid. It probably won't work for Giannis. We'll see and how it goes. We'll it's only, it only goes. game one, but even, Giannis, even from that. Giannis is a pseudo big man. He's yes. a wing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it looks like it probably won't work there either. And it has not worked for you. With that in mind, you need to get a true number one, a player with enough talent and leadership to put the reigning MVP in the position of a Robin. You need Damian Lillard. <laughs> you need no! Batman, a.k.a. Damian Lillard. Caveat, I know I gave Westover a lot of crap for sending Dame off a few weeks ago, but that was before the Blazers' front office was dumb enough to make him available. Yeah, and also Westover had him go to the Knicks, which was yeah, dumb. it was all gross. Chaos. <laughs> Once again, caveat, if I'm the Blazers... I'm making it work to build around Dame. I'm getting rid of CJ McCollum. I'm bringing other pieces around him. Yes. But apparently they're not going to do that. So now if you're the Nuggets or any other team, this is the golden opportunity. Yeah. It's the only reason. you got to sell out for it. That's why I'm addressing the Nuggets, not the Blazers. Yeah. Blazers, if you're listening, don't trade them. Get it together. You dum-dums. <laughs> Nuggets, if they're going to be dum-dums, capitalize on it. Uh, so in this scenario, Denver would receive Damian Lillard, and Portland would receive Jamal Murray, and then Denver's 2021, 2023, and 2025 first-round picks. All the picks. At first glance, it may seem like a lot, but it's pretty tame for the modern market. 
If you really feel bad about it, you could swap in Aaron Gordon for one of those picks, maybe two. But doubtful. <laughs> yeah, <Like>, right. <laughs> Aaron Gordon ain't that great. I don't know if yeah. the Blazers want that. But the no. Blazers are being dumb, so Honestly, maybe. Honestly, for star MVP-esque caliber talent, three first-round picks is like the baseline. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's what you would have to give up. But the return is incredible. You get Damian Lillard, a rangeless guard, partnered with a dominant big in Jokic, supported by an up-and-coming monster in the form of Michael Porter Jr. It'd be scary. It would be terrifying. And barring any nonsense, that squad would be unstoppable. But that is the pod. If you enjoyed this or any of our other episodes, please remember to give us a like or a follow and leave a review. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you may listen to your podcasts. In the words of Hall of Fame coach Red Auerbach, quote, I have two college degrees, four honorary doctorate degrees, and have been three Halls of Fame. And the only thing I know how to do is teach tall people how to put a ball in the hole. Unquote. <laughs> Amazing. A man who knows himself and is rewarded for it. Yes. He knows. He knows what he's there for. I mean, when you coach Bill Russell, your life's made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you won 11 you coach like, Bill Russell, you coach Tom Brady. <laughs> you coach a starting five of Hall of Famers, you're good to go. Yeah, you're pretty set. Thanks for listening, and remember, this was mismanaged. See ya. See ya.